Good morning. Well, as you can see, Craig is not here. And uh, thankfully uh, for the old man, they put up the tent. So I am very, very appreciative of that this morning. Uh, I, I was thinking about last week, Craig uh, was talking about, uh, uh, kind of compared his preaching to uh, baseball. And he was kind of saying, you know, sometimes I, I hit a home run and sometimes people say I you know, maybe got a double or a single. I'm just hoping for a foul ball this morning. Uh, but uh, the big question we're going to be looking at this morning is how is your light? And uh, scripture this morning is Philippians 2, 1 through 4, and then also verses 14 and 15. If you want to go ahead and be turning there, it's going to be a few minutes before we read those scriptures. But uh, let, us, let us pray this morning as we begin. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you again for the opportunity to... to to be able to come before you this morning and to be out here in, the, in your creation. And, Lord, of course, we've got some listening on by uh, our, our broadcast and, and also some inside. But, Lord, what an opportunity to be out in your creation and to see the beauty of it. Even in the heat, Lord, we know that uh, you're here and we know that you're working through the circumstances of our life today. And we thank you for another opportunity. Lord, may you be lifted up and may... You be honored, and may you be glorified in what's said and shared this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. As I said, we're going to be looking at Philippians 2, 1 through 4, and then 14 to 15. Uh, be a few minutes before we get there. Uh, we're going to be talking about unity through humility in our church. And as I thought about uh, an example of a person uh, with humility, uh, I couldn't help but think of Billy Graham. So I want to talk a little bit about him as we start as an illustration this morning. Billy Graham, one of the greatest evangelists of our time, as we know, traveled the world as an ambassador for peace, preached to millions of people. He was a presidential confidant. He was comfortable in elite places of Washington, even as far as the Oval Office. He's uh, written bestsellers, respected by foreign leaders across our world. But as we know, his greatest accomplishment is, was the preaching of the gospel. And God had used him powerfully to lead countless people to Christ in his ministry. And his ministry even continues, of course, today around the world. And remarkably, he is often described by one word, and that's humility. We can learn much from his humility by reflecting on his life and his ministry. I believe there's three things I want to just kind of bring out this morning about Billy Graham and his ministry and who he was. Billy Graham critiqued himself. He was not above critiquing Billy Graham. In fact, Graham proved to, to uh, more, uh, prove more critic, critical of himself than many of his critics did. And the world is quick to justify itself and to cast blame everywhere. Graham looked inwardly first. Billy Graham knew his place. Billy Graham was never under the impression that he was indispensable to the kingdom of God. He was a servant with no claim on his own. His hope was not in himself, but in Jesus Christ, his Lord. Graham depended upon God. It wasn't his good looks, his southern accent, or his friendly personality that was a source of his power. It was his close relationship to Jesus Christ. A religious historian writer named Grant Wacker, who once interviewed Graham at his home, 
said he couldn't help but notice there was a sense that Billy Graham didn't really realize that he was Billy Graham. I believe Billy Graham is a great example that we find in Philippians 3.8. And it says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. While Billy Graham is a great example of humility, we understand and know our greatest example of humility is Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He had every right to be honored, to be praised, and to be worshipped. And yet he was willing to lay down his privileges aside and became a lowly servant, the perfect sacrifice for each of us. Philippians 2, 5, and 7 says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count him count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. You know, we often hear people say, I want to live like Jesus. And while he is truly the, the model that we should follow, many who speak of following him are unwilling really to give up their rights and to live in the humility Christ lived. You see, we can never be like Jesus unless we're willing to walk in humility and live sacrificially. As you read through the second chapter of Philippians, it's not hard, it's hard, not, be hard, it's hard not to be challenged by the words of Paul. He calls us to live out our Christian life, a life of humility, a life of sacrifice. The letter that Paul was writing, of course, when he was in prison when he was writing this, and this letter to the Philippians had a couple of purposes. One of the purposes was that he wanted to show his love and appreciation. He loved the Philippian church, and they were supporting him, of course, while he was in prison. They were supporting him with their gifts of money. They'd also sent uh, one of their elders to help support Paul while he was in prison. I'm sure that one of the reasons Paul could continue to minister and spread the gospel was because of their support. And the gospel was spreading in spite of him being in prison. Just as a side note, Paul had intended to visit Rome. He desired to go there. He wanted to encourage uh, the church there, and he wanted to be encouraged by the church. I don't think going to prison was exactly how he planned, but it's just another evidence of how God can work with what is intended for evil, for his glory. But as I said, Paul loved and appreciated this church. He knew the Philippian church, like all churches, was not a perfect church. There's no such a thing as a perfect church. There are some things that were going on that needed addressing in the church. Paul's second reason for writing this letter was to challenge the Philippians in their walk, individually and as a church. <laughs> Amen. All right. <laughs> I'll tell you already, man, I'll tell you. To have unity, there must be humility. Paul understood for a church to be all that God desired, it must be a church that possesses a spirit of unity and moves with the same purpose. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. God's desire for his church to walk in unity and to be filled with people who possess a spirit of humility a church that reflects the humility of Christ. So if you would stand, we're going to read our scripture this morning. Philippians 2, 1 through 4. 
and then also verses 14 and 15. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and in one, of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And then verses 14 and 15. Do all things without grumbling and dis or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and a twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Let us pray once again. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. God, I pray this morning that you would use your word to continue to, to guide us, to continue to direct us, Lord, to continue to show us your desire for our lives as individuals and your church as we seek to live out the call life through unity and through humility. In Jesus' name, amen. What does it take to live in unity? It's our first point this morning. If you noticed in that first verse, Paul asked four questions. Is there any encouragement from being belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any participation or fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Paul knew that these conditions existed in the Philippian church. As we said, the Philippian church was a good church. But he also knew it wasn't a perfect church and there were some problems. But the church had proven itself to be strong and unified in many ways. If there was any encouragement from belonging to Christ, and the word encouragement is the same word when Paul spoke of the Holy Spirit as counselor and comforter. As believers, we receive encouragement, exhortation, and comfort from Christ. These are things that Christ uses to unite his church. The Philippian believers had comfort from Christ's love. And this kind of love that unifies God's people, their common love for Christ should cause them to love one another. They also should have had fellowship together in the Spirit. When we as believers receive Christ as our Savior, we also receive the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.4 4 says, There is one body, one spirit, just as you've been called to a glorious hope for the future. There's no place for cliques, no place for conflict in the body of Christ, for these things will quickly destroy the, uni destroy the unity of the church and our light to shine throughout our community. When the Holy Spirit is working the believer's heart, it produces Christ-like fruit. Can others see the fruits of the Spirit in our lives? I thought of Galatians 5, 22 and 23, of course. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. When these kind of fruits are displayed and lived out among God's people, it provides a place for unity to grow and prosper. 
Verse 1 also speaks of affection. This refers to being sympathetic to the other's needs, to other's needs or feelings. When we're willing to think of others and their needs above our own, this will help us to produce the unity of the body of Christ. God can use a church when his people are willing to put the welfare of others before their own. Our second point this morning is what can cause disunity. In verse 2, Paul writes, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being full accord, in full accord and of one mind. You see, the Philippian church had given Paul great joy. As I said, he loved this church. It was a, a church that God was blessing and God was using, yet Paul was aware there were some struggles of unity. For example, there were some believers demonstrating a false sense of spiritual superiority over others. This can be a very dangerous place for a church to be. When we begin to elevate ourselves spiritually and look down on others, this can destroy the unity of the body. Because of their common experience in Christ and their common fellowship of the Holy Spirit, there should always be a sense of unity, agreeing strongly with each other, striving together in a spirit of humility. This certainly doesn't mean that they will always agree on everything, but instead they should have the mind of Christ and his attitude, which Paul describes at length throughout, at length throughout this chapter. Paul, Paul also wanted the church to love one another. It was Christ's love that sent him from heaven to this earth to become a humble servant. He willingly left all the glory of heaven to come to this world and experience death on a cruel cross on behalf of sinners such as you and I. I thought about Hebrews 12 where it says, looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despised the shame, and now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Although we as believers can never do what Christ did, yet we are called to follow his example of love, sacrifice, and forgiveness. We are to express that same love that Christ showed in our dealings with others. Jesus prayed this prayer for the future believers that they might be one. John 17:22 says, And the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one talking about Trinity, the perfect unity of Trinity should, Trinity should be our example. The church ought to be working together with one heart, one mind, and one spirit. As the church stands firm in the spirit, they are to overcome the small differences and work powerfully towards one purpose, one goal, and that is the spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, building the kingdom, encouraging believers to walk in God's will and God's purposes. The church's priority should always be about the gospel. If we're going to make a difference in the world where God has put us, it must always be about proclamation of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation for all who will believe. Without the gospel, there's no light. Our third point this morning is how can we live out this unity in our lives? In verse 3, Paul reminds the Philippian church, as well as us today, that selfish ambitions can destroy unity in the body. While selfish ambitions and conceit can ruin the unity, genuine humility can strengthen our unity. 
Being humble involves a correct perspective about who we are in Christ. I couldn't help but remember my granddad when I thought about this. My granddad, from an early age, when, people, when I would hear people talk to him about how he was doing, he would always say, I'm doing better than I ought to be doing. Of course, when I was young, I didn't really grasp exactly what he was saying there, but as I grew to understand his Christian faith and how he looked on life, I, I began to understand he, he understood what he deserved, but he also understood the grace that God had poured out in his life. Paul reminds us of this in Romans 12, 3. Because of the privilege and the authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. Measure yourselves by the faith God has given us. We must be willing to take an honest look at who we are in Christ. It's not always easy to look at ourselves honestly. We need to have an understanding of who we are in Christ. And he will give us a perspective of our relationship with others. You see, being humble does not mean that we should put ourselves down. You see, we are made in the image of Christ. But instead, humility is a healthy respect for who, we, who Christ is. And then a healthy respect of ourselves because of what Christ has done on our behalf. When others put first, when we, when we put others first, then we will begin to see others as Christ sees them. Our prayer should be, oh God, give us your eyes to see the world in, a need, in need of a Savior. In verse 4, Paul writes, let each of you look not only at his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Paul reminds us, that a sure cure for selfishness is a thankful recognition of others. We are to recognize the good in others. We are to see their spiritual qualities. We are to see their walk in the Lord. It's not easy to get, it is, it is easy to get caught up in wanting to believe. We must always stand up for our own rights and needs in spite of others. We need a Christ-like attitude, a sacrificial attitude to look beyond ourselves and the needs of others. We need to have less me and I, I believe, in our vocabularies. As we think of the question this morning, how's your light? I want us again to take a quick look at verses 14 and 15 of this same chapter. I want to read them again. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and a twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Once again, Paul has advice for believers on how they should go about living out their faith on a daily basis. He says we need to stay away from grumbling and disputing. Grumbling translates from a word that describes a bad attitude, which expresses itself in constant complaining. The word for disputing or arguing has a legal connotation, which may refer to the Christian church they are going to court so often. Paul had condemned this elsewhere in Scripture. In fact, disputing and grumbling are really just the opposite of having a Christ-like spirit. The Philippians lived in a crooked and a perverse world, much like we live today. Paul says believers are to live differently than the world, 
and the world shall notice that difference in our lives. The Bible contrasts light and darkness, and Paul asks, are you living in such a way that the love of Christ is shining in your walk? As we as believers in this church are to bring the light of Christ into the world, I don't believe there's been a, a time in recent history as we think about it when the church is being looked at with more scrutiny than it is at a present time. How is the church responding? How are we responding to the, the racial struggles, the challenges of the pandemic that we are facing today? What is the world seeing in the church? Do they see grumbling or disputing? Or do they see the church loving and caring for each other, reaching out with the gospel and living lives of unity and humility? I thought of Jesus' words when asked about the greatest commandment in Matthew 22. Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So I thought about these commandments and how they were to be, are to be lived out in our life. They certainly are a mark of, true, of a true disciple. The distinguishing mark of a true disciple is not the normal kind of human love we think about. It's a spiritual and a supernatural love of Jesus that we are to have for the world around us. This kind of supernatural love transforms our lives. You might say this morning, man, that's hard. That's difficult to live that out on a daily basis, to live the kind of spirit that God desires. And you're right. It is hard. It is difficult to live that out. And we certainly can't do it on our own. But we have been given the Holy Spirit. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit and as believers that we've been given His power. Ephesians 1.13 says, In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. I thought about light, I thought about darkness, and I thought about how the stars <clears throat> light up the heaven on those dark nights. And that's what we're to be. We're to be that kind of light in the world that God has placed us. God world, God's Word reminds us today we live in a crooked and a per perverse world where there's much darkness. There's never been a <clears throat> greater need for believers in the church to be the light of Christ. I thought about what a challenge but I also thought about what an opportunity God has given us at this time, in this place in history. When we think about the struggles, our racial struggles, and we think about the pandemic that is all around us. We're called to be light. We're called to be love. We're called to be unity in the world where God has placed us. I thought about the challenge this morning to, uh, to us as believers. What is God saying to us this morning. As I said, we find ourselves in a place in history that most of us thought we'd never experience, especially with the pandemic raging around us like it is and all the things that are changing so rapidly around us. As I said earlier, the world needs to see hope, and they need to see that through God's people. We should be a people of hope. And when people look at our lives, and they see our examples, <clears throat> not perfect examples by any means, but they can see in our lives where our hearts are, where our first love is. They should be able to look at us and see a difference in our lives. Like I said, we have a great opportunity. And as a believer this morning, you might 
be saying, well, you know, I realize that my light's been awful dim. That, uh, that I need to begin to live out this life that I know God says in His Word. We've talked a lot about it this morning, a lot about unity, a lot about putting others first, a lot about placing ourselves not in the first place or second place, but wherever God has to put, desires to put us, but to put others first, to be willing to live for Him and to love others. Maybe as a Christian this morning, you said the church. You see, the church has been given a great opportunity to be the church triumphant in these uncertain days. Are we living out that challenge? That would be my word to the believer this morning. Are you a light? Are you making a difference in your life this morning? But I also thought about you may be here this morning and you realize I can't be his hands. I can't be his feet. You see, I've never trusted Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. You see, this morning he can and he will transform your life. You can become a beacon of light to a crooked and a twisted generation. If you would trust Christ this morning as your Savior. We'd love to pray with you that, about that this morning. Or maybe you want to call us if you're watching by YouTube this morning. You may want to call us and we'd love to hear from you this week about giving your heart and giving your life to Christ. We'd love to, to share that with you. In fact, this morning I want us to have a word of prayer. And maybe you may be listening by by, by YouTube this morning, or you may be sitting out here in this warm sunshine and you realize you've never received Christ as your Lord and your Savior. I want us to pray about that this morning as we close. Heavenly Father, there may be someone here this morning that as we've shared your word this morning, realize that they, they cannot be a light and they can't be your hands, they can't be your feet because they've never truly trusted you as their Lord and Savior. You may be listening by YouTube this morning and you realize, as the Bible says, we've all come short of God's glory. We've all missed the mark. And this morning you understand that Jesus took your place on Calvary's cross. We've all sinned and come short of God's glory. And you realize you need His forgiveness. You believe He is the Son of God. You believe that He took your place on Calvary. It should have been us on that cross. And you also believe this morning that He has risen from the grave. And as the Scripture we read earlier, that now He sits at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, the day is the day of salvation. And our prayer this morning that you would trust Christ if you've never done that as your Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.